The publication of the clergy changes, which uh, happened on Thursday morning, um, brought the hopefully good news to many parishes, hopefully not too bad news that I'm not leaving. But it, it means that I've, I've survived four and a half years at St. John the Beloved. I arrived just about the time that um, these young men were getting ready to be confirmed. Now, they don't remember me being at their confirmation mass, so I obviously had not yet made an impression then, um, so I'm going to make up for lost time. They do remember, um, I think it was Bishop Higgins probably, who did the, the confirmation of my recollection serves. It probably, for me, the, the experience of being confirmed was one of the first moments of having a sense of the Holy Spirit. It already was, by that time for me, um, something sacred to be in church. Um, having been a server since I was in third grade, fourth grade, humming the... the the, uh, what do you call it, the recessional hymn. It's a made-up term. There's no such thing as recessional hymn in, in the Catholic liturgy. But the recessional hymn, I would always hum it in the car on the way home. I can associate different songs with different sites on Woodburn Road from St. Ambrose Church back to our house on Tobin Road. Learning how to pray the rosary, going to St. Michael's for Wednesday holy hours with Father Pisano. Already by the time the confirmation happened for me in, in eighth grade, church was, was truly special. I'd already been talking about being a priest since I was uh, eight years old, uh, my elementary school being right next door to St. Ambrose. But there was something different that happened on confirmation day. And it, it, it was something I sensed. I didn't have words for it. I, did, I didn't know if it was uh, by virtue of for the first time being with Bishop Keating and, and um, even reading at the Mass. Um, I don't know if it was the, 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 the significance of my brother, then Marcus Pollard, two years of seminarian, being my sponsor right next to me. But I, that, that experience came back. Came back at, at different moments, but most especially it was clear on the day before I was ordained a deacon. So that would be October 1st, 1997. The whole day, it was as though my feet didn't even touch the ground. Uh, the entire day, it was as though the, the words coming out of my mouth were somehow um, chosen by someone other than me. It was, it was an experience where every, every single person uh, that I saw was the object of, uh, of love. It, it wasn't something that comes from a person, it's something that happens to you. And it's so clearly different, but dependent upon those prior experiences of being in prayer and being with our Lord, especially our Lord in the tabernacle, most especially, our Lord in the monstrance enthroned on the altar in solemn exposition. There are moments when you pray so close to the Lord, and then perhaps it's, it's, it's visual or visceral or auditory. You have this experience of there being 
nothing in between you and him. In ascetical theology, they would talk about it being part of that difference between meditation where you are thinking about, imagining our Lord in his life or aspects of God, and then contemplation where you are immediately in the presence of God. There's nothing in between you and God, and there's no words. When When we've had those experiences of prayer with our Lord on the altar in the tabernacle, We can, we can make the mistake of thinking that, wow, I must be holy. I just had a holy experience. No, it's, it's just there to help you persevere. Heaven will be even far greater than that. But just because you've had that one experience of being really close to God doesn't mean that you, you have achieved the summit. It's, it's just a glimpse of the summit. So keep on going. We can also make the mistake of thinking that such an experience can only happen here. And perhaps we can piece together something of the the divine logic of, of Pentecost Sunday. Because the apostles had been transformed by this time. We know they were afraid and, and, and locked up in the room gripped with fear and self-loathing and mutual recrimination after our Lord's arrest and his death and burial, and still gripped by that fear even after his resurrection, even a week after Easter Sunday. But by Ascension Thursday, they were transformed. They were joyful even after seeing our Lord go into heaven. They were joined in prayer publicly, privately, joined as a community of, of love and faith and hope, ready to obey God. They would, they would go when our Lord would say go, and they would wait in Jerusalem when he said wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. Could they have imagined that their experience of the immediacy of God, the, in, the internal presence of God, without our Lord physically being there, would be just as real and just as palpable through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Are we confident that that experience of God, which we know is not something we create, it's not something we conjure up, even here at the altar, before the tabernacle, are we convinced that God can be so present in me that it's as though he speaks when I open my mouth and he lives and works when I breathe and I walk. Do we have confidence that being believers already The gift of the Holy Spirit will make us the instruments of God's miraculous power. Most of us probably are thinking that I need the overflowing abundance of the Holy Spirit just to get by. 
just to stay in the state of grace. I need all of God's help just to survive. Hold on a second. The apostles were doing really pretty well before Pentecost. Remember that. It's very important for us to remember. They weren't gripped with fear and locked up in hiding before Pentecost. They were praising God publicly in the temple and privately. They were responsive and obedient to the commands of God, ready to go and willing to wait. They didn't need the overflowing, absolutely incredible abundance of the Holy Spirit to be believers. Now, that was a function of their knowledge of Christ, their experience with Christ, their remembering everything he did and said, and knowing that it's real, knowing that he really is God. What would we say about an automobile that needs turbo just to get into first gear? Ridiculous. Or an airplane that needs afterburners just to get off the ground. Which is not to say that nitrous oxide and the full throttle isn't important. It is important, but in its proper place. It'd be good to reread that opening prayer. It's in your missalette, in the beginning of the missalette. The Holy Spirit is poured out on believers. Now, God is giving us all the help, more help than we need to stay in the state of grace and to survive and not to quit and to keep on going. But just think about life when, when we've put it together. Right? We've, we've done the hard work. We've done the penance. We, we've made good habits of prayer. When we can stay in the state of grace and when we can be good, and it's easier to be good than to be bad, and we've begun to really grow in virtue, imagine then what the gift of the Holy Spirit will do, not just to you, but through you. That's another mistake. We tend to think that the Holy Spirit is coming to, to improve my life. No, the Holy Spirit has a purpose. It's to benefit other people. Now, those who are going to be confirmed this fall, they've had the advantage or the disadvantage of, of my already addressing them and reminding them what happened. Learn the last chapter, the last paragraph of Matthew 28. Study the first chapter of Acts of the Apostles. Remember the 24th chapter of St. Luke. Know what it means to be a believer ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And be prepared for God to do incredible things through you, not just to satisfy your needs or, or to provide for your wants or to make you whole, but he will make you an instrument for the salvation of the whole world. To expel demons, to bless, to sanctify, to teach, to evangelize, to preach, to bring the sacraments, to bring the power of God to people. These young men, if they persevere in prayer and in penance, will be visited again by thoughts. Maybe I'm supposed to be a priest. 
The young ladies, the beautiful voices behind me. Fortunately, none of them are seniors. They've all signed their contract to come back to sing next year. If they persevere in prayer and penance, they will be visited by the thoughts, maybe God has in mind for me a life of constant prayer in a religious community, in a cloister. And even if that is not how life turns out, then you're going to need a lot of grace and a lot of courage and a lot of help to be a holy mom, a holy dad, to be persevering in marriage, which is, again, a life of heroic virtue, laying down your life for the good of others. And so we pray. We pray that God might send us what we need to be prepared to receive the Holy Spirit, to make us believers, to make us real friends of Christ, to make us love him, to make us love to be in his presence and to still to love him and rejoice even when we can't see him. And then to be prepared to experience the presence of God even when we seem far away. And so with the words of St. Augustine, we pray, breathe in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our thoughts may be holy. Act in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our work, too, may be holy. Draw our hearts, O Holy Spirit, that we love but what is holy. Strengthen us, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard us then, O Holy Spirit, that we always may be holy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.